Hi, my name is Ben Blacker, and this is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. See, I want it all to be true, okay? I'm like that little kid who thinks that dead hand is the coolest thing he's ever heard of, and those yeah. crazy brewskis are at it again, and I bet they built the hell out of this thing. And I was like, well, no. But I was like, I'm just having my fingers and my ears going, ah. I, I sent you a Wired article from like years ago, and um, and you, you were talking about like, oh, and they built the dead hand. So I was like, no, 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 that's... That's the point of our story. <laughs> yeah, so we're coming at it from different angles, let's say. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB Podcast and the GBBpodcast.com. Another week, another week. I can't believe it. We're still doing this. What are we doing? <laughs> Clearly lost a bet. <laughs> What a way to come into the podcast. I can't believe we're still doing this. Why are we still getting together to make this stupid show? (laughs) I mean, quite honestly, I can't believe it either. But here we are. (laughs) Here we are. Nothing better to do on a Tuesday night, right? (laughs) (laughs) So we're joined again by rotating guest, guest, guest host, host, Sam. (laughs) Talk, words, though they won't fail you. Sam? Oh, sorry. I had a nickname I was supposed to call her this time, and I can't remember what it was. That's why I I purposely (sighs) did not put it in when I typed in my name. Dang it. You would remember. I can't remember. (sighs) Oh, okay. Well, that's enough. We'll go listen to the last time that Sam guest hosted, and you'll hear my nickname. (laughs) I'll have to go back and listen. Yeah, you called her like the enforcer or something. Yes, I can't remember. It was something, no, it was something that she had named herself. She named herself, yeah. Yes. I mean, okay. we sh- yeah, Sam is on the line with us. Like, we right. probably shouldn't be talking about her like she's not there. <laughs> it's okay. I'm used to it. Yeah, we'll, we'll just exclude out of the conversation. So anyway, so why don't you guys – we have another great interview. I was telling Jamie before we came on that um, – because he just has – okay, a little – backstory in our calendar for our guests he just po- he has sometimes the names of people so today he goes post higgins and mooney so i was like higgins and mooney sounds like a vegas act right <laughs> yeah and you but what you're not telling everybody is that you actually sang a little jingle for them it's true and i don't remember do you want me to do it I, higgins and mooney on the rise i don't know they're That's gonna it? make what? people disappear <laughs> yeah jazz hands <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's going to be our new theme song right there. Yes, that's our new theme song. I love it's it. It's a good thing you guys can't see me because the look on my face is well, like, what? Do you know what, though? There's other podcasts, and I'm not going to name any names. They have resident, you know, the- songwriters <laughs> that write theme songs for their guests. Yeah. So, Jamie, I think I'm going to take up a new role. You're going to start writing theme songs for every <laughs> yeah. guest? Yeah, why not, right? And then play and it for them. Play it in its entirety for them. 
<laughs> we shouldn't do this, but we're doing it because that's awkward. not awkward at all. But yes, we should we should get theme songs about each guest and yep. then awkwardly play it for two and a half minutes while they listen yes. to it and get their reactions. Yeah, <laughs> that's great, guys. <laughs> because that's entertainment gold right there. Exactly. I would have loved to hear Jonathan Frakes' take on his theme song. He probably would have loved it. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, so why don't you guys tell us about your interview with the Vegas magicians, Higgins and Mooney. <laughs> well, we should probably start off with uh, letting people know they are not Vegas magicians. Although I feel like they probably could be. Like, I feel like they would have a good act together. Well, I don't know if they would be magicians. They could be like a really deadpan comedy act. Though. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, they, I feel like if they took, like, like, made a stage show, like, the two of them together would be... Probably really, really entertaining. Kyle Higgins and I, Stephen Mooney. We should at least give them the first name so people, you know, know who we're talking about. Um, <laughs> but uh, we talked to Kyle Higgins, Stephen Mooney, um, the author and artist behind *The Dead Hand*, uh, new, new, um, new series coming out from Image. Yes, so they're they're the author. Um... Kyle is the author and Stephen is the artist for The Dead Hand. And it's got one issue out now. And I think they said the other one's coming out in what, like a month or so? Yeah, well, they were yeah. just sending it to the printer when we were talking to them. So, I mean, that yeah. issue one so just came done. out. Yeah, yeah. So it's next month sometime. We, um, you know, yeah. more prepared hosts would have those dates in front of them. But, you know, just look it up. I mean, Google it. Google it, people. I'm not your personal Google assistant. That's what Siri's for. And you just shut her Apparently. off. Typical male. Just shut her down. Oh. Um, <laughs> God, I could keep going down that path. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first issue, which obviously we talked to them about at length, was really, really good. Like, I don't know. It was one of those where when I read the excerpt for it, I'm like, eh, it doesn't sound boring. I'm not going to lie. That was my reaction. And the cover art looked kind of cool. So I'm like, I'll take a look at it. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was one of the best new comics that I've read in quite a while. Yeah. So in a nutshell, I guess the elevator pitch for this book would be um, Cold War era super spy um, has retired and is a like a small town sheriff. Um, And his past catches up with him. So it sounds kind of cliche, and I'm not going to lie. They set it up in a very cliched way that's playing on a lot of um, familiar tropes, but they do that intentionally uh, because the at the very end of the first issue, they pull the rug out from underneath you. I'm not going to spoil it, obviously, so there's no spoiler alert here. Um, but they set it up, and you for the you know 30-some-odd pages of the first issue, you really feel like, oh, I've read this before. I kind of know where this is going. Great art, you know, really good story, but eh, it feels very familiar. Um, and then they kind of, they just pull everything out from underneath you, and you're like, what? And so it's, it's one of those <laughs> things. You turn to the last page, and you're like, all right, where's issue two? I need it right now. And I wasn't quite as high pitched as Jamie with my what. <laughs> so if that tells you anything, um, but yeah, I did have a, a what moment. What was it more like that? <laughs> no, no. Um, so we talk a lot about the Dead Hand, obviously, because that's their new project that they've got going on. Um, Stephen also recently has out um, the, the collected trade for Half Past Danger with IDW. 
um, which is also very, very good. We don't talk about that very much um, just because we kind of, we, we, we got a little verbose with this one. So we went really long, but um, I wish we had gotten time to talk a little bit more about that. Um, Kyle has also written extensively for DC superheroes. Um, and he's also really entrenched in the Power Rangers books for Boom. Uh, so they're both very, very busy guys. They're both all kind of all over the place. Um, Dead Hand is is where their heart is right now. And I, I do want to say, like, so this whole idea of the Dead Hand, like, what is it? And I don't think this is spoiling anything, but it's... So the concept is... Um, something that's re it was real and we talk about this a little bit in the interview but it, i kind of discovered it as i as i did a little bit of research in preparing to talk to them there really was a cold war era soviet program called dead hand um and as kyle explains much better than i'm about to it, it kind of gets conflated with something else called um oh shoot now i'm blanking on what it's called uh, perimeter is uh, something else that's called perimeter um, and it was basically uh, kind of like the Soviet response to the Star Wars program that we used to have during the Cold War. You know, like we would shoot down missiles. This was sort of like even if Moscow and all of occupied Russia were completely wiped out, but like in a nuclear holocaust, um, the perimeter slash dead hand program would initiate a counter strike. So it was a mutually assured destruction kind of thing. Um, so it was a threat that like, even if you completely wipe us out and we're all dead, we still have this program, these computers that will still come for you. So don't think that, you know, initial, like a, a preliminary strike is going to solve the problem because dead hand will, will come bite you in the butt later. Um, so that was the one that never actually happened. What they did have was perimeter, right. which was person driven. It was people hiding in bunkers Correct. somewhere that would essentially do the same thing, but it was never automated, which is what they wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I guess we're going down that path since they named it the dead I, hand and not perimeter. I guess we are. Yeah. I mean, I, I am, right. I am so, on board for this one. I'll just say that. All right. So yeah. let's take that winding path right to the Rio Grande. In did Vegas, you just cut us off? And we, yes, hmm. I did. Okay. Go for it. I'm sorry. You can no, keep do going. It. It's been 10 minutes, so I didn't <laughs> know. <laughs> okay. Winding, winding path. No, do you want to keep talking? Keep talking. No, man, you already oh, you ruined the mood. I'm sorry. I thought that was my time that I could jump in. <laughs> Jamie and I were having a moment. Damn it, Justin. I'm sorry, guys. Like, <sighs> all right, I guess we'll go play the interview. I ruin everything. <laughs> Hope you enjoy. Kyle and Steven, thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat. It's uh, just a pleasure to have you here. I can't wait to talk to you guys about this. Oops. Thanks for having us. Was that, was that a Star Trek communicator? Yes, yes, it was. Good no. start. Yeah, that's my text message on my phone. I hadn't got it on silent. That's how professional I am. Oh, I love it. No, if we're going to be interrupted, we can be interrupted by a communicator. That's fine. Um, I wanted to just sort of... Uh, start off by asking both of you guys work across publishers you know you you both have books out you know dc image boom idw is that par for the course now in the industry do you have to hustle at different houses or is that just sort of how you guys have made it work for yourselves well i mean the not so secret secret is that there's no money in comics <laughs> so 
you, you, you do take work for hire jobs, um, across publishers, uh, for a variety of reasons. The first being that, uh, I mean, I mean, we're going to take, we're going to take work for whoever hires us, um, mm-hmm. for starters. Um, but the other side of it is that there are characters and projects that are really attractive, um, both from a creative standpoint as well as potentially from a um, from a visibility standpoint. And you know, Stephen and I both worked on um, Batman characters at DC. Um, I think that probably helped us um, when we went to do creator-owned books as well. And I've found that keeping a foot in both uh, the work-for-hire space as well as the creator-owned space is kind of the best of both worlds. It scratches the itch of building your own universes uh with the um with the visibility and the uh the checks clearing aspect (laughs) of Mm. working for uh big two publishers is it is it hard to jump back and forth i mean i I can see creatively how it's you know it's stable and also fulfilling to be able to work on both. But are, are they actually different headspaces? Like if you're writing or drawing Batman versus writing or drawing your own creator owned character, are they totally different headspaces or is it just sort of, you have to think from different angles? Yeah. Yeah. I'll go. Um, yeah. Just echoing what Kyle said. Um, I don't know that I change, like I flick a switch if I'm drawing uh, Dick Grayson or if I'm drawing one of my own characters. I mean, if anything, I he think... only draws himself as, <laughs> as, <laughs> as Dick Grayson. <laughs> yeah, I just slap a different costume on it, whatever. Um, no, uh, I, if anything, I try harder on my own books, I think. I think the it's kind of like what Kyle said, you kind of do your art house movie and then to facilitate the next one of those, you've got to do your mainstream flick to make a few quid in between. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the same time, I know Kyle does and I do, we both love that state of the characters at DC, so it's not a yeah. chore to do that work, but I definitely am always look, like looking forward to, like with me, it was Half Past Danger 2, but I did a couple of years at DC, it was, I was saving money just so I could take the year to do my own book, and like Kyle says, I knew I wasn't going to make a tremendous amount of money off that, but satisfaction-wise, it scratches a very different itch and it's my own thing. And same with Dead Animal Kyle is very much our own book. Like I don't I think one thing it has going for it is it's very unique. I look around the stands and I don't see anything that's doing the same thing as our book. So at DC, to an extent, you're just the next guy or the next girl working on whatever title and you can leave as much of a mark as you can and do your best. But Dead Hand or Half Past or other Kyle's creator own books as well, like Cowl or whatever, that's ours. And it's very much like the ownership thing. You know, I'm a materialistic guy. I think all nerds are pretty materialistic people. Mm-hmm. So to have something that's mine also at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah it's just a different, it, it's also just a different kind of power dynamic working at, um, at uh, kind of like a big two publisher or, or even a publisher like Boom. Um, where I'm doing Power Rangers, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot, there's editorial support in place. Um, but at the end of the day, you're, you're really, um, on, on those types of books and characters, you're really a brand manager. Um, so you, you just have to kind of take that into account, even if it's subconsciously, it does affect the way that you write and tell stories and create because, it is within a, a pretty narrow set of parameters that um, you have to operate. And 
you're working with an editor who has the best interests of the character and the story as well as their bosses in mind. Mm-hmm. So, and then you're working with the bosses who can might have uh, different requirements um, that they take into consideration across, you know, different levels of publishing and and um, and ancillary media. So there's just a lot of different factors at play um, on some of those <clears throat> at some of those uh, publishers where you're where you're not working on your own uh, material, you're working on pre-existing material, and that's not to knock it at all. Like I very much enjoy um, writing those books, um, but it is a different power dynamic. Um, sure. Whereas on something like The Dead Hand, um, Stephen and I are, are basically just mind melded uh, and. I send pages and I don't think Steven doesn't even show me layouts. Really? I mean, he, he just draws it and, and I get it back. And you know, if there's, if there's like a big change or something to make, like that's not a problem. Like Steven goes and makes it, but otherwise like I adjust to that and we just kind of, we just build it truly kind of together. Um, and you know, you would never ever have that at a Marvel or DC sure. like you just wouldn't be able to do it that way just because of the the kind of parameters as well as um, what they need uh, yeah. to see at every level there's a lot there's so many more voices you know voice mm-hmm. saying like we need to see this yeah. we need to see that it's not just the two of you making your own thing right yeah right. I would also say on the same point it's pretty different for Kyle I I do write a bit, but predominantly I draw, whereas Kyle is, a, is more a writer. So he is probably juggling those balls at the same time, going from several different editors and email chains and whatever. That must be, I don't know how he does that, because one long email chain can throw me for a loop. So <laughs> yeah. focus on one book for whatever it is. It's generally about six weeks. People say a month, but it's more than a month these days. And uh, I don't know if that would make, like, I presume, I, I suppose I have less variety that way. So maybe I get that much more invested in whatever it is I'm doing. I don't know if Kyle plays favorites with his creator owns or I don't know how he operates in that way. Well, I find I find that I'm only really able to do one creator own at a time. I've tried to do more in the past and it's really hard because they they pull my um, they pull my attention in a in a different way than than something like Power Rangers or um, or you know, my D C work does. Mm. So like right now I'm writing like I mean, I'm writing like two or three Power Rangers books at the same time, um, which is just, it's a bit of madness. Um, and then Dead Hand. And so when I switch over to my creator and stuff, it's just on Dead Hand, um, mixing something else in. I know Steven's actually, Steven's smiling that I'm not cheating on him uh, with, another, with another creator. Uh, but it's, I just can't, I can't do it like another way like it's just um they're they're different muscles yeah. uh, slightly and um there's also on the creator own side there's an entire like component uh to it uh where we are basically running a little small business as well like we mm-hmm. have to get all the material in for solicits we have to make sure the covers are in on time for solicits we have to we have to work um with with press uh opportunities and image is great in facilitating um a lot of things but ultimately it is up to the creators Mm -hmm. so there's like another whole side of um 
of, of doing, you know, doing the work. For example, I would not get on a podcast at 8 a.m. for Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a spirit. <laughs> well, I mean, in along those lines, I wanted to, I'm, I'm curious, like, do you, not that you play favorites, but do you, do you have, obviously you have more invested in your creator own, like you, you know, you want to see it succeed. It's yours. It's your small business, like you said, but the flip side of that is, do you actually have less invested in the big franchises like the Power Rangers or the Batman only because you know, whenever you're done, somebody could come behind you and completely undo everything or just take it in a different direction. No. And that's probably why I'm actually not as kind of, um, prolific as I, as I could be from a, from a volume standpoint. I can't, I can't flip that switch. Like I see, I see guys that do seven books a month on big two stuff and I do not know how the hell they do it. Um, I, I just, I just, I don't know how I obsess over everything. Every story I'm doing, I'm, I'm fixated on all of the finer mechanics of it. Even if it's on, it doesn't matter if it's Power Rangers or Batman or, or the dead hand. Like it's the same, it's all the same thing to me. Um, and I don't know, maybe I need to talk to my therapist about letting go (laughs) a little bit more. Uh, cause I would probably be faster. Um, (laughs) well, when there's alcohol involved, um, it's the it's the charm of the Irish. Um, so I've heard. No, yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but but no, I um. I also look at the stuff that I mean, uh, not to sound like cynical or anything, but I look at the stuff that I look very pragmatically at the stuff that I create for a place like DC or or on Power Rangers for Boom, in that. Um, you know, the royalty pool is not my retirements or anything, but like that's additional income and that, and those royalties are reflective of, um, sales and, and not always, but most of the time, the quality of the book Yeah, I have found anyway. Um, if you do your job and you, and you, and you do, if you do good work, the other stuff tends to take care of itself. Um, is, what you hear a lot and I've mostly found to be true. Um, and, and so there's definitely incentive there, you know, to whether someone else is going to come along and, and blow everything up or not. Like, you know, I still get royalties on, on death stroke, on for example. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, um, it, this, see, this makes me curious because I always wonder how people got into what they do. Um, and so it clearly wasn't for the money for either of you. So, I mean, was this something writing and in Steven's case, you know, drawing comics, something you guys always wanted to do? Did it just kind of happen somehow later in life? Um, and, and what was the appeal of it to you since it wasn't money? I don't know the answer to Steven's story. I want to hear it. Um, well, it was never an accident with me. It was my end game from, from um, ever since I read Tintin and Asterix as a kid, which was about eight or nine, I think. Um, European books like that and then when I, I the first big American book I saw was Jim Lee's X-Men with a lot of kids around in their late 30s now the X-Men in the 90s was, was the big thing mm-hmm. where I first realized that there, um, because Tintin and Asterix had happened mostly in the past I knew as I read it like this was done in the 60s and 70s whereas I was reading X-Men and it had a little indicia in the front that said April 1991 or whatever which was two months previous so I realized that people were this was somebody's job which had never occurred to me before <laughs> 
<laughs> just you know, as a kid, you just people, stuff is just produced, and you you inhale it and, and you appreciate it. But you don't realize somebody's sitting at a desk somewhere and churning this stuff out. Um, so that's when that kind of I copped on that people could do this for a living. So um, I drew every day. I was you know a lot like nearly every kid I know draws. It's just the ones that stick with it and do it when they're 15, 16, when all the cool kids are out doing actual fun things. Like I just stayed at home and drew and played Mario Kart every day for about <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> the only two things I'm good at. Uh, and that's debatable, even that. Uh, so it was always going to, it was always in my uh, DNA that I, I mean, the writing thing came later just with the, that was the desire to tell my own stories more so. Um, but I was an animator for years is how I made my money because there's no dedicated core. You guys have the Cooper School and things like that in the States. There's nothing like that in uh, England or Ireland. At least there wasn't when I was in college 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, I studied classical animation because that was the job you could do and draw all day, every day. And Ireland has a lot of animation industry and still does. So I did that for three years straight out of college. And then I was always sending in my portfolio, the cliche thing. I went to San Diego every year. I went to New York. I did all the shows. Back before the internet was facilitating you to send stuff over an FTP or whatever to an editor. Um, so... Yeah, it was always what I want. Me and a group of friends, and a few of them, like, you know, Deck and Shalvi and Slaney and people like that who were also in the game, we all came up together. So, Stephen, um, just to carry on with that that topic there. So, you, you do both. Um, you started off doing the artwork portion mm-hmm. of it. Um, do you have a favorite between the two? Do you have a preference? Do you prefer <laughs> to write? Uh, do, do I have a favorite? Or does it switch off and on? Like, do you, do you get fatigued with one? <laughs> oh, fatiguing. I mean, listen, I'd love to be romantic and say that the writing is the more difficult aspect. But to me, sitting down for 12 hours a day and drawing is probably more taxing. Mm-hmm. Just from a purely fatigue physical standpoint. But I am coming up with ideas, I think, is, is, is terrifically difficult. Like a good idea and a good hook is once you've got that for writing, I think narrative and dialogue and plot points and all kind of for me fall into place it's just getting that one sweet kind of uh, kernel of an idea which is why i was so happy with kyle i mean we had been tossing dead hand from each other but it was kyle that came up with the real end game the real the clincher and what would people like what would get people to pick this book up and i knew once he came up with that that we had something good uh, so i find that really difficult to do but once i have that i i'm fine I, I enjoy writing i have to say now i've never tried to write more than one thing at once i think like kyle says that would be impossible I mean, I can't rub my tummy and pat my head at the same time. So if I try to write, I'd be screwed. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that the idea is, is actually, um, it's not that it's the easier part, but if I need to have an idea, I can, I can, I can, I know ways to go find ideas, basically. Um, and uh, it, I don't know, just from, from a process standpoint, I know myself well enough, like, at this point in how I work that I can kind of sit with a notebook and start kind of asking myself questions about different concepts or things that interest me about, you know, a project or a character or a subject matter. And I can kind of find something that's like, oh, there, that's a that's a story engine right there. Like there's something there to explore. What's hard, what's the harder part for me or the hardest part is finding ways to explore that interesting idea that best take advantage of its potential. So like, you know, I, I use, I always use like, um, I use the movie, it's one of my favorite movies, Memento, as an example, where it's a great concept just on its own of like a, you know, guy who is a murder mystery or a, yeah, a, a revenge murder, 
uh, well, fuck, sorry, a revenge thriller <laughs> told in reverse order as this guy who can't create new memories is trying to find the man that killed his wife, and you're as immersed in in the narrative as and disoriented by the narrative as the main character is who can't create new memories. Great. That's an awesome premise. It's an awesome kind of engine to explore it. But where the movie really kicks into another level for me is a scene probably around like it's in the back half of the movie, maybe around the midpoint where he asks a prostitute to sit with him, wait for him to fall asleep in a hotel room and then take this bag of items that belonged to his wife and spread them around the room wait till Guy Pierce falls asleep, then go into the bathroom and slam the door. And what you realize is that it jars him. He wakes up and he looks around. He sees all of his, his wife's uh, items. And for just a few seconds, he thinks she's still alive. So he's using the very condition that is a huge uh, hindrance to him as a way to like bring just a moment or two of joy. And it's a total self-manipulation idea but it's a, it's an angle of the concept that you go oh fuck like i didn't that's not a like first five ideas you know mm-hmm. um uh way to explore this story but it taps into something that's very very real and relatable and those are the things that are really hard for me those are the things that take time to figure out like am i best exploring this world and this hook as Stephen says, to its fullest potential, both narratively as well as emotionally. Yeah. Well, when we talk about you know the storytelling and the hook, and you guys definitely, with The Dead Hand, you've got an amazing hook in just the first issue. Um, but both The Dead Hand and Half Past Danger are set in these alternate histories to a certain extent where you can play with the past. Um, mm-hmm. and, you can, and you can take something that, that maybe really happened, but then give it that twist, you know, the, the modern 2018 twist to keep people coming back and wanting to know what happens next. What is the draw to that kind of storytelling since you're both doing it at this moment, that alternate history where you can play with, with reality? Um, for um, me, it's... No, yeah. no you go, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a historical fiction, like a heightened historical fiction kind of um, model. Um I've been doing it in my creator-owned books kind of subconsciously. Um, All three image books are in that kind of model, though Hadrian's Wall is more of an alternate history future, Um, but it's defined by an alternate history. Um, And what I – I don't know. I think I'm a big – I'm fascinated by different eras um, of history. Uh, So that's – I guess that's where some of it starts. But – I think the bigger thing is mechanically like something like Cowl, for example, I found that this, uh, this, um, this premise of a, of a world of, or an organization that is uh, basically a labor union for superheroes that inherently feels like a very comical idea. And if you set it in 2018, it very much feels like something that, um, could be funny uh, or be uh, very meta. Um, and that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to ground it more. Um, and the second that you set it in 1962, during our, one, the era, arguably, that is our, or at least one of our country's kind of greatest change eras, 
and through the and, and apply the context of like you know the transition from kind of like the golden age of you know dc god characters to the silver age of marvel you know flawed titans and look at both um the very concept of you know that transition for superheroes as well in a meta sense but as well as american history um it started to make the idea sit nicer. Like it's, it's a way of grounding something because everyone knows uh, what 2018 looks like, Mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily know or remember, or it might just be a little fuzzier on the edges, what 1962 looks like, or even the 1980s looked like. So I find it's, it's actually easier to sit a, uh, to get a, a kind of a uh, potentially out there idea to, to sit nice and be taken a bit more seriously when you said it in the past, when someone could look at it and go like, well, maybe this could have happened. Right. You know, I, I don't remember. I don't know, but I know that it couldn't right now. Right. Um, Steven, <laughs> did you have anything to add to that or no? <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree with that. But there's also the, the aspect to me, it's just all the permissions it gives you for any given scenario. You know, I mean, you're not, you, you're tied down in the way that, like Kyle says, your your present may be the same as and all the rules are established and all the fences are in the same place. If you're coming from um, not a made up but a, a half made up scenario that brought you to that place, then nobody knows except you what happened at A, B, and C that resulted in this uh, error or what happened here. So it just allows you to do whatever you want. Basically, it's kind of a get out of jail free card you know, mm-hmm. to a certain extent. But I think everybody loves the what if scenario. It's like if you can present an appealing scenario that's not too hokey and that could have happened, I think there's a lot of emphasis on the fact that this is potentially something that may or may not, ha- not have happened behind the scenes and only now is coming to light and we're going to tell you that story. To me, that's an appealing concept um, once it's executed properly, of course. Right. Something I didn't realize uh, until I did my homework for this chat was that Dead Hand was a real thing that existed in the Soviet Union. Um, well, sort of. So, okay. <laughs> Would you like to uh, explain? I mean, because well, it's, it's we can't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it gets it gets um, conflated with something called perimeter uh, right. a lot, and they were different things. So, perimeter was a semi semi autonomous weapon system that was designed to ensure uh, retaliate uh, retaliation. Uh, a retaliation strike on the United States, even in the events of the Kremlin being totally decapitated. Mm-hmm. But it had a bunch of if-then statement kind of theories built into it. So, or I, I'm sorry, I guess I should say like if-then conditions to it. So there was still a person in control of launching this, but it was an if it was these series of if-then scenarios and like a checklist that they would go through if basically things were turned to like you know condition red or whatever the term would be right meaning like hey if if uh if you're in this bunker and this light turns on it means that the kremlin has kind of initiated you know or turned on perimeter so it means now your series of like Mm -hmm. if if you don't hear anything you know by this amount of time or if if all indications point to there's been a nuclear strike, you have to retaliate, essentially. And it's like a hardened concrete bunker, like far underground. And then these like electronic, these missiles with um, electronics in the warheads 
would launch across the country. And um, I'm sorry, not in the warheads, the electronics in the, in the nose cones would transmit signals to whatever remaining intercontinental intercontin- ballistic missiles, I- ICBMs, mm-hmm. that were left in the Soviet Union's arsenal, and those would launch on the United States. We, they actually built this, and we didn't learn about it until like 1993. Um, they talked about in a fully autonomous system called the dead hand, but they didn't build it. Okay. And even the Soviets went, well, I mean, that's crazy. We can't <laughs> let a computer <laughs> control our, you know, nuclear arsenal. Um, and so, but a lot of people conflate the two and they say, you know, the Soviets had, had the dead hand or still have the dead hand. Yeah. We're not sure if perimeter is still operational. Like there are story, like there are claims that it is, um, but, uh, yeah, as far as anyone knows, uh, the dead hand itself was never actually built. So it sounds like, uh, you did quite a bit of research for this book. I mean, it, <laughs> how, how much did you, do you want to ground your story in realism in, 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 as if the dead hand were a real thing that actually happened versus your version of alt history? Um, it's a little bit of a, it's a fine line. I mean, I, I, I find that if I can ground details, then when I get glossy on other things, um, you know, it's kind of a, I don't want to say it's a cheat, but Mm -hmm. it's like, it helps to hand wave some of the, um, it enables me to hand wave some of, um, the more fantastical elements that are coming up in the book, for example. Okay. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've actually, I've, I've think about that sometimes about like, where is the line as far as, yeah. uh, you know, historical accuracy versus heightened historical fiction. And, you know, you look at like the genres that we're playing with here, even within the first issue and, you know, Carter's, uh, Carter's kind of stealth ops suit, you know, things like that. It's definitely in that kind of Metal Gear Solid, like kind of heightened For sure. espionage, slight 90s image kind of um, feel, you know. But I think that kind of mixture of, of um, genres and aesthetics actually makes for a really interesting uh, first issue and hopefully rest of the series. Did um did you by chance sit down and talk to uh, David Hoffman at all? He so for anybody listening who doesn't know, uh, there was a, I guess it was published in two thousand ten or two thousand nine, but it won the Pulitzer in two thousand ten, which was called The mm-hmm. Dead Hand, and it was about this the perimeter program you were talking about. Um, did you did you talk to him at all? Like compare notes and see where where the line? Of no, reality no, is? I didn't talk to him. I mean, I I know his book. Yeah. I've read his book. Um, it, it's one of the books that I've I've read as I've as I've pulled or looked at different scenarios and in, in details um, from that era, documentaries, um, things like that. So um, no, I, I've never actually I've never connected with him. Mm, interesting. <clears throat> Sam, sorry. So oh, that's okay. So uh, how much of the parallels that at least that I'm already picking up on and reading the first issue um, to current events are intentional or, or did you find that 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 was just kind of, that's how history is since history is, you know, destined to repeat itself. Um, 
were do you guys feel like you were kind of influenced by some of the stuff that's going on now and has recently in the path you're taking with the dead hand well no i mean we've been working on this for like two years and the world was a far different place two years ago <laughs> yes it was you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah steven's over yeah, there it's... going i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> everything's fine over I, here. I still don't know what the book's about all right i just get scripts <laughs> Uh, yeah, there there will not be a, a big fucking ago. orange despot in our series. <laughs> so when you're asking about the perimeter of dead hand um, scenario, which is which and what bleeds into what, I was still asking Kyle about that until like I don't know, it was pretty recently, wasn't it? You were correcting me about something. I had assumed. See, I want it all to be true. Okay, I'm like that little kid who thinks the dead hand is the coolest thing he's ever heard of, and those yeah. crazy ruskies are at it again, and I bet they built the hell out of this thing. And I was like, well, no. But I was like, I'm just having my fingers and my ears going, ah, so as far as I'm Oh, yeah, I sent you, I sent, I sent you a Wired article um, a couple months ago and that, and and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So (laughs) that's right. I forgot about that. I I sent you a Wired article from like years ago and, um, and you, you were talking about like, oh, and they built the dead hand. I was like, no, 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 that's. That's the point of our story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we're coming at it from different angles, let's say. (laughs) <laughs> he he just had a few that's all. and and the, the realities just melted for him you got you got to forgive him <laughs> you know a lot of what's going on nowadays does feel very surreal almost like it's fiction i have days where i wake up um and, and i look around and i'm like how the hell did i get here right like i just like the world and me in it and I don't know what's going on um, and you're right that absolutely has been a change in the last couple of years so we got to forgive Stephen if he's <laughs> if he's confused by what part of this is real and what part you two are making up I, I get it Stephen I mean yeah I mean a little bit facetious but it is like you say it's crazy I mean I we just had a kid and it was Superman's um his 80th anniversary was like on Wednesday I think it was this week yeah so I was like oh I gotta put up a little post about the birthday of Superman is one of my favorite characters, and my, and and Charlie, our little boy, had a Superman T-shirt on, and he was he did the up up and away with his little fist, and I was like, oh, it's so cute, I'll have to put that online, and I wrote um, up up and away, and I'll be teaching uh, something like I can't wait to teach my boy about truth, justice, and dot dot dot, and I kind of helped stop myself, and I was like, huh, maybe I'll wait uh, the third <laughs> part. Like it's just we're I mean in Europe, obviously we're on the outside looking in. But it, it is like I'm not gonna lie to you guys. What the hell is going on over there? I wish we had an answer because we're just we as lost know. as you are. <laughs> yes, and Jamie and I talk about that. Oddly enough, you know, we talk about it a lot. Given <laughs> Everybody does. Just yeah, well, it just yeah. it just keeps coming up in every conversation. Oh, I'm talking about pancakes, and it comes up, and it just it's permeated every facet of reality over here. Well, we're fine. we're we're coastal elites over here so you know and we oh, don't actually you're yeah, a west coaster aren't you yeah you're an, aren't you, I'm, where, I'm, where an east, I'm an east coaster she's flyover country <laughs> well, oh, oh where are you at trump doesn't have an intercontinental uh, ballistic response system I think we'll yeah i don't think i'm part of any of these you know global <laughs> missile plans i'm in ohio of all places <laughs> literally the middle of nowhere which is how i like it um, no, but yes. you probably got a very interesting. Um, I, I mean, I'd have I have to go to Orange County to find anyone who voted for Donald Trump in Los Angeles or in California. Yeah. Um, they are all over here. Yeah. yeah. Sadly. 
But listen, it's all cyclical, isn't it? I mean, the cup of presents, you have somebody kick ass again. As long as everyone has lived. That as long, yeah, we, we just have to survive. That's the thing. Exactly. You know? I was talking to somebody at work yesterday and I said, listen, the stories we're going to be telling in 20 years as we look back. And then we, there was this pause and we're like, well, that's assuming there will be a 20 years from now to look back from. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, we took a, we took a dark turn. Yeah, here. back to the book. Back to the book. <laughs> back to the book. <laughs> Um, seriously though, so the, the, the first issue, um, you know, we, that we're not going to spoil anything I mean, any review you read, you're, you're going to see like, oh, the last page is a game changer. Um, but y- you do an excellent job of, of building up just enough of this world to leave us, the readers begging for more, you know, it's like you, you think, you know, where the story is going or you have a good idea. And then it's like, you pull out the rug up from underneath us. Um, but instead of, and, and. And in creating new characters and, and new situations, you don't, I mean, I, I have to imagine the the inclination sometimes is to just hit you over the head with exposition, you know, to have a lot of narration and a lot of backstory and just fill it in so we know immediately who everybody is. But what I loved about the first issue is that you have these flashbacks to these characters that are obviously going to be important, but you don't even bother naming them at this point. They're just there. And we know at some point we're going to meet them and we're going to figure oh, out who I everybody do, Did I not is. name them? Oh, shit. <laughs> Forgot that part. You might, you might want to fix that at some point. But, <laughs> there's Fred. There's fixing trade. Fred and Sally, right? I'm sure. <laughs> as, as creators, though, do you... Where do you find the joy? Is it in is it in world building and creating something out of nothing, or once everything is set up, filling out that story that world with stories? Uh, they go hand in hand. There's no, I've never built a world without a story for it. Mm-hmm. So, um, same with characters. I, I don't I don't really subscribe to maybe it's because I'm not a real writer, but I don't <laughs> I've never really subscribed to like building building out characters and then finding a story for them or people who say they have ideas for, you know, characters. I've just never really understood that, I guess. I mean, they go so hand in hand to me that like I, I tend to build, I tend to build worlds and start building, uh, or I tend to build a premise and Hmm. then find a character, um, that can explore that premise or world or, or whatever the case may be. And then the world and the premise start to change uh, a bit as I start kind of fleshing that character out and finding more specific details and, you know, taking, hopefully taking away cliches and things like that. Um, so they kind of just go together and it becomes a back and forth process. Um, so and you know there were things like even on on this like on comics it's so collaborative like i think we're building out something for a character named renee who you'll meet in issue two and steven i don't remember what you said you you suggested something and it was like well that's going in now you know (laughs) and then we changed do you remember do you know what i'm talking about do you remember i remember remember the instance but i can't remember what the i mean there's been so many elements to her character that we've um, oh, I do know, but I, sh- I can't say on the podcast because it's a spoiler. Oh, the um, the uh, the Ellis thing. That no, well, yes, but I'm thinking about the. I think I know the Renee thing too, to do with Harriet. But anyway, 
We'll Harry it's a different character. Yeah, there's definitely some cool characters coming that you haven't been properly introduced to. That's Kyle just peppering cool stuff in there. Like as I'm reading that too, and then I'm going back to Kyle and going, Oh, is this guy related to that guy? And that means this? And Kyle's like, That sounds good, yeah. So then, <laughs> then he'll go there is direction with it. Like that's a literal example of the thing of two guys yeah. and so it's like it is pretty collaborative that way, but I have to be clear, like the cool hook you're talking about and the that kind of directional um, aspect of the first issue, that was definitely all Kyle's thing. Like, I mean, I was, when I read that, I was like, oh, that's cool. Okay, we've got them now. If we get them this yeah. way, we've got them. Yeah. It, you did a good job because like I I read it all the way through. I was I was telling Jamie this before. I tend to with books as well as comic books, um, for the most part, I I I read them, but I read them in parts, if that makes sense. Like it's very mm -hmm. rare that I pick one up and I read it from cover to cover. Mm -hmm. Um now I I read the electronic version of of this, so there's no cover but from scroll <laughs> to scroll. But I sat down and I don't think I even took a sip of water like while I was reading it. And that surprised me. Um, this isn't my normal topic. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, Cold War stuff, nah, not my thing. Um, <laughs> potential superhero stuff, I'm still not sure if that's if that's what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> when it comes to comic books, not my thing. Um, so, so I read it and I was absolutely shocked how much it held my attention from the first page to the end. And then when I finished it, I actually sat there and went, holy shit. <laughs> I did not see that coming. See, we well, need more people to have that reaction <laughs> and boost our sales and then <laughs> keep doing more. Yes, yeah, everybody yeah. needs to read this so that you have that moment because it's it was really good. I actually had like a physical like shock feeling you know, that you get when you're surprised or something by mm -hmm. someone to that. And that's never happened in a comic book for me before. So that was really cool. I guess um, I better make sure the lettering on two and three are, are up to par. <laughs> I just remember to give some of those characters names. Yeah. <laughs> I'm but it, to think who I didn't name. Now, now I'm actually wondering. It makes me think, curious. though, because something you guys said earlier, actually, I think Steven said it, but about you, Kyle. He said you, you talked to him about the end game. Um, mm -hmm. Knowing how the first issue went and, and uh, how much of the in-between is planned. I know you've got an end game <laughs> in mind. Or is it kind of organically growing as you guys work on it? Well, he, it's it's both, but a fun, <laughs> I almost said this earlier in the podcast, and I didn't. When you were asking Stephen about the difference between writing and drawing and doing both, etc., and there was a point, probably he doesn't know where I'm going with this. There was a point, probably like year a year and a half ago, uh, where I was in Dublin for a little while, and uh, we both woke up in uh, in in Declan Shalvey's apartment. Um, and it, I mean, it was not uncommon. You had the cat. I didn't have the cat. Uh, but uh, we both woke up there and we were talking. I, I was up kind of early and I was I was I was you were just waking up and I was like had been working on like something with Ted hand like I just like trying to crack something with the with the ending an idea. And I kind of like told you some some stuff about it. And I was like and it, this was this was quite earlier, you know, obviously in the process. Mm -hmm. And I was I was like yeah, I just, I don't quite have, I don't, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't quite have, have, have the ending yet. Like, I'm not quite sure what, what to do there. <laughs> you just looked at me and you said, mm, well, you should probably figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I've already said, I'm terrified not to have an ending. Anything I do, like, I, if I don't have a, 
And I'm pretty sure Kyle does have an ending before I say this, but I'm always terrified. If we don't have a strong ending, I think the danger of just meandering along and losing a little bit of your um, your momentum is, is very real. But um, I'm yeah. sure Kyle is half joking and he has got some sort of an ending, right, Kyle? <laughs> there'll be there'll be pages. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean something like, like this. Like lost. Um, just yeah. Wrong, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, it's you know this is this is a book that we designed um really hoping you know to do an ongoing series um it, it really is kind of sales dependent so yeah i mean i've I, I always like um finding a way to wrap up a story that is um satisfying while leaving the door open for yeah. for future um for future tales you know that that's kind of the <clears throat> that's kind of the way that you kind of have to operate in the creator own space if you're not, you know, if you're not Hickman or Brubaker or, or Reminder or Kelly Sue, you know? Yeah. So, you know, with that, you're both talking about the importance of having the ending and knowing where it's going and not just meandering along forever. Does that mean mm-hmm. that you prefer to work with a limited format or, or do you welcome the ongoing format just because it gives you more freedom? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'd say it gives you more freedom. It gives you more more, <laughs> <laughs> more panels. <laughs> it gives you more um it, it gives you a greater ability to develop subplots. Mm. Um subplots are kind of they're 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 promises to the audience. They're promises of a plan and of uh uh they're really um what was the what was the analogy I used <sighs> before they're, they're kind of dividends to the to the audience like invest in this book and this will pay off um like it is a promise from from the creators to the readers that there is reason to um there reason to invest that that's that's the term i was looking for yeah. um and in a limited series um it's much harder to um develop some of those maybe you know outlier subplots um, just because you just don't have the space to bring them back in a kind of narratively satisfying way. Um, so they're just different. Um, they're different. En- they're different engines, you know, yeah. like and trying to trying to straddle uh, both worlds it is tough where it, it is designed where it could kind of be both is it's tricky it's doable but it's tricky and so something like the dead hand now is is kind of in that space where it's you know this big six issue story that is part of this larger world um i mean assuming the world survives by mm. the end of issue six mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wanted to ask, you guys have been talking about your collaboration, and I mean, it seems a little, I don't want to use the word abnormal, but unusual for, you know, you, to not get sketches or anything like that. You know, you just, you send them pages and you get back art, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's that's golden. Um, but I mean, how, how does your relationship, I guess, you know, you don't have to name names, but how does your relationship working together compare to other collaborations you've had? And does that, you know, we, we joked about the time difference at the beginning of the, the interview, but I mean, does that time difference pose a challenge for you guys? It does because when Steven needs pages, I know I have till about midnight <laughs> because, 
he will be up and caffeinated. Well, now it's crazy because you have a kid, so I don't know what your schedule is. I don't know why, Kyle. <laughs> you you say you don't know either? <laughs> no. Uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> it took me, what um, have I got, three pages that you said? does the last three pages. Now, they were very, very important three pages. That has yeah. to be said. But they took me about three days each, which, as you know, for me, would be a long enough time. Yeah. But go on, sorry. Oh, no. T trust me, my Power Rangers editors love you taking your time. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I, I mean, like, yeah, literally, like, I'm, I'm going to send Stephen pages today on uh, issue, the end of issue five. So, um, you know, we're, we're pretty far ahead. Uh, but... Um, I mean, yeah, collaboratively. I, I mean, we don't yell at each other as much as Steven and Declan do. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, Rod, 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 so. <laughs> we don't actually Rod, work together. That's true. Um, Rod Reese. Rod, 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 would you ever draw something that Declan wrote? Oh, there's a whole other story there, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a uh, different podcast. I, I really feel like we need to meet this Declan guy. <laughs> he should have been here. Yeah, he sounds awesome. He gets enough of my press as it is, all right? Let's just leave him aside. <clears throat> Going out with Stephen and Declan and, and the gang uh, in Dublin uh, is, is always an, a fantastic experience. <laughs> I sense a little sarcasm there. No, 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 no. It, it's great, but... Everyone gangs up on Steve. Steven becomes a different person. <sighs> now I feel bad for you, Steven. That was no, such a loaded you. sigh, too. You like... should. <laughs> I should. <laughs> no, no. It's okay. it's, I bring it on myself. Listen, trust me. It's only because I know I can take it. <laughs> anyway, Kyle, I want to hear about how you work with your other collaborators. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, on something like Cowell and Hadrian's Wall it's loose with, with Rod Reese. Um, you know, Rod's Rod sends layouts, but, um, but I'm not doing panel breakdowns for him. Um, or, well, sometimes I do, it, it depends, you know, it depends on if it's a spe specific moment. So in that way, it's very similar because I'm not giving Steven panel breakdowns. Usually I mean, I'll, um, it's well although sometimes i do it, it i don't know it depends i mean i'm sure you've seen it it's a little it's a little crazy as far as like if it's a specific um effect that you know i'm going for um you know i'll i'll literally number the actions in the panels but more often than not steven's interpreting kind of my action lines um although each action line does kind of end up equating to a single panel so i may just be doing that subconsciously anyway um, but I tend to, I try to not number the panels or the action lines with Steven because I, I want to leave it a little more open and not just like, Hey, this is, this does need to be panel two. This does need to be panel three, you know, like Steven is a writer as well. And so it's, um, anyway, so there's that on, uh, Power Rangers, for example, it's all gotta be on the page. It all has to be there, like every single line, every single description, um, because not only do I have editors reviewing it and giving me notes, but um, I, they have to show it to Saban and then Saban's going to have notes and then I have to rewrite it. And then other people at Saban are going to see it and have notes. So like, 
uh, one of the things that I do a lot uh, with Stephen and, and most of my books is when I get to a section that I don't quite have dialogue wise, I'll like literally throw the dialogue lines in italics and I'll say like insert lines about, you know, whatever it's going to be. If it's technical talk that I don't quite have or need to do research on, or if it's even just like, here's what the emotional content is of these lines. I just, I know I could obsess and really drill down and, and find these lines right now, but it's going to take me an hour and a half mm-hmm. just because I know me and I can, I can spot those pot. I've just been writing long enough that I can spot those potholes where I go, Oh fuck. If I step there, like I'll get it. I can get it, but it's going to, I know what it needs to be, but I don't know how to do it. And it's going to take me quite a bit of time to do. And I would rather just like, put a placeholder in and then I can obsess about it in the lettering script. I can't do that on something like, like power Rangers or depending on the the DC work, I can't, you know? So it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit more freeing for me doing, uh, doing a book like this, like dead hand, um, particularly with something like narration, which takes me forever to write. It just <laughs> takes forever. I hate writing it. I, I wrote it on Nightwing because that's what the book needed to be. But I come from screenwriting and I feel like every time I try to write narration, I just end up sounding like a fucking Elmore Leonard hack. <laughs> and so it's like, and then, then I want the narration to not just tell you something you're seeing. I want to like counter to what you're seeing or to be saying something thematically, like juxtaposed against the image, the panel that it's in needs to, needs to um, elicit an effect. It can't just be like some running, you know, um, dialogue of whatever it's got to be there for a a purpose and that takes me a long time to figure out and of course i decided it would be a great idea to write an entire series with third person narration (laughs) for the dead hand um so you're doing okay so far that that makes you feel better because i was i i was it was good let me put it that way i'll just oh thanks um so much of this book is like, hey, let's 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 try something different. Mm-hmm. And down to the way I've structured it, down to the way that Stephen and I communicate, it's really kind of just about like, let's just we've been doing comics long enough, both of us. Like, let's just try to play with the form a little bit and and the way that they're made. And you know, I'm a huge you know I was a trumpet player for a long time and I'm a big jazz you know fan aficionado nice. and. And just the processes that go into the different ways of, of making music and building a song um, or a performance have always really intrigued and fascinated me when you get people who know what they're doing within their craft, you know. Um, Mark Wade's kind of like the best example at this point. Like, Mark doesn't plan anything at all, ever anymore. He's written 2,000 comic books in his career. So part of the joy for him, every single issue of Daredevil, he didn't know where he, where he was going when yeah. he, before he sat down to write it. That explains and, so much about Daredevil, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a nimbleness and a like, well, how am I going to get out of this corner, you know, this cliffhanger? It's like, well, that's not that's not today's problem. That's not mm. present day Kyle's problem. That's future Kyle's problem. I'm not that bad. I'm not. I'm yeah. not you know, I just didn't want to talk as Mark there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, there's a little bit of a, a liberation to the process on something like this. Yeah. Um, a couple more questions, cause I know we've been keeping you guys, but I, so you mentioned 
screenwriting and filmmaking. And I have to say, The Shadow Hours was pretty great. Um, oh, thank you. What you, you you talked earlier about the different creative itches that you know working for something like Batman versus working for something like The Dead Hand scratch, but um, how does filmmaking scratch a, a different itch? Like, what does that do for you? Uh, well, that's really what I want to be doing. Really? Yeah. I mean, you asked before how we got into this. Um, I made a movie when I was in college that was a precursor to what would become my image series, Cowl. And uh, the film was called The League. Um, I believe it's mm-hmm. on it's on YouTube and on Vimeo uh, for free at this point. I think you can watch it. Just keep in mind, I was like 21, 22 <laughs> when I made it. Um, but I've been making movies since I was seven, eight years old with my dad and my sister. And a lot of them were like superhero kind of, uh, you know, I, I guess you would call them fan films. So, though, if you're when you're seven, eight, they don't feel like fan films. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that's really my first kind of passion and love is directing. And that's what I want to do more of. And comics is this great. Um, medium and career that I kind of fell into um, after I made that film in college. Joe Casada uh, saw it and reached out to me, and you know I started pitching to Marvel for about a year before I landed a one shot at Captain America, and then from there it was just like, well, let's see where this goes. And once they offer you Batman, yeah, you don't I mean, say no. <laughs> you, I don't know anyone who says no to Batman. So, <laughs> well, I, I was going to ask with whether there were plans to bring the shadow hours to the graphic novel format. But I guess I should be asking you the reverse. Do you want to take the dead hand onto the screen somehow? I do. Yeah. I mean, all of my creator owned books, um, that is part of the, the draw of doing a book at image, uh, for me. Um, look, I never, I have never, uh, written a book, um, with, for the, the purpose of trying to like shore up, an idea and a, and a piece of, you know, turn it into a, a piece of IP uh, that could be more attractive because it now exists as a graphic novel. Like that's a whole business plan for some people. Mm-hmm. And I have a variation on that type of meeting, like probably like once a month of someone, of a friend of a friend or someone out here. And I live in LA, like going like, Hey, I, you know, my friend's a screenwriter. He, he has this idea or he has this, this pilot that he wants to turn into a graphic novel and, you know, can you talk with him or her? And I always say the same thing. I say, don't do it. It's a complete money suck. And uh, no one wants your graphic novel. No <laughs> one wants, especially in Hollywood, no one wants your uh, your comic book or your graphic novel. What they want is your comic book or your graphic novel from Image, from Vertigo, from Boom, from Dark Horse. They want it proofed out from an established publisher Mm -hmm. so unless you can land one of those which that's a whole other career path and a whole other conversation and a whole other commitment um then it's not worth you should not do that at all and also they're different mediums you know they're different they're different formats um so i take what i do in comics very very seriously and the craft that goes into it um I, I take that very seriously. Having said that, um, the reason I, I, one of the reasons that I do all my creator own books at image is because, uh, you know, Steven and I own the dead hand, Steven, Jordy, and I own it, you know, it's our book. Um, and if someone wanted to do something with it, they have to deal with us. 
yeah. as opposed to a publisher who is actively shopping it and looking to take 50% of the property. <laughs> I mean, can I ask I, a quick question? Yeah. So, Kyle, if you're, I know you've got a good eye and you direct, and that's your end game as far as career goes. So, is it not hard for you for me to send in finished pages without showing you what the storytelling is going to look like beforehand? It drives me crazy. Uh-huh. Honestly. Um, no, honestly, it doesn't. I love it. I, I truly, truly love it. I, um, it, it, sometimes I, mean, you I see it. I'm mind's eye version of a lot of these scenes. But. I do. Yeah, I do. But, um, I like, like when I shoot, especially at this point where the budgets aren't usually there to build sets, um, so much of it is finding a location that you can afford and then choreographing for that location or designing shots to take advantage of that location. Shadow Hours is a really good example of that shot. And since you both have seen it, Mm. um, the shot in the house when... Uh, he walks into the living room and she's walking through the back through the kitchen to the sink that shot the choreography if you look in the script none of that's supposed to happen Um, it was all supposed to play out in like the foyer or foyer however you would say it uh, (laughs) of like an apartment or whatever and we just couldn't find a location uh, that would work and so we found this house and then that informed her backstory a bit more but more importantly, I looked at the house and went, oh, well, here's how you shoot it. You know, yeah. it's, it's a mm-hmm. counter circle move. And so I designed, we designed the shot, um, you know, before getting to, before the day, but, but really like late in the process as we were getting ready to shoot. So for, for me, like comics has been a fantastic training ground as well for, um, not only letting go, uh, on on some of the visual side of things but also like learning a ton and working with great storytellers and illustrators who take what i've written and bring back send it back to me in this whole other way has absolutely informed how i direct and i shoot and if you look at my stuff when i made the league there's there's handheld in it handheld Mm -hmm. camera work and you look at the shadow hours and it is all on a dolly and it's all precision based camera work. And I credit comics and composition work um, and just watching you guys illustrate. That's um, a good point. Now that you've mentioned sorry to interrupt you, but I hadn't realized that when I was watching it until you said something. It is very comic book like, like there's panels. It goes from scene to scene to scene. And, and now that you're saying, especially um, with the recorder, the, the scenes mm-hmm. around him fiddling with or, or cleaning the recorder, that, that becomes mm-hmm. obviously very important. It is very comic book panel-like. Well, I don't know. I don't know that I'd agree with that. I mean, I don't well, – I guess w- when you say panel-like, do you mean because it, they're like close-ups or what? Yeah, it's like it's like I'm getting those visual pictures like I would in a comic book. Like I get the close up of the side of his face with the glasses, mm-hmm. right? With the rainy window back there and then it switches to his hands. Only that it's stylized, I think. You know, it is very stylized in that kind of a graphic format, I think. There's a lot of immediate imagery in there that I think is cool. You could argue that's informed by comic book style maybe. Yeah. But it I, works. They kind of Yeah, they kind of go back and forth, I think. And part part of it is the 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 cinematographer that I work with as well is um, mm. 
is very we like shooting moody you know we like yeah. lot using lots of shadows and graphically um creating interesting compositions yeah, yeah. um i think it's, so many it's books exactly, are... i see what you're, I, I totally see what you're saying now yeah i think it's actually more an indictment of how many shitty shooters there are out there <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of people don't know how to frame a movie they don't know how to light a movie. That's the biggest thing that drives me crazy is there are so many people out there working who don't know how to light. And that can be for a variety of reasons. Either that's not what their skill set is or there are other parameters. You know, you hear a lot in TV, DPs or in commercial work. It's like, I want to see the actor's face, you know, like fully, fully lit. Um, that we're paying for this actor, I want to see them, you know, that changes what the way that you are going to compose shots, you know, but, um, mm. uh, but yeah, I mean, so I, I, I've talked to a lot of um, writers for this podcast, and a lot mm. of writers who started out writing novels or, or something else, and then sort of made the jump into comics and graphic novels, and how they had to mm -hmm. learn to think visually. Um, you know, they always had the picture in their mind of what they were writing, but they could just be as verbose as they wanted to, you know, and they weren't used to working with an illustrator, maybe. Uh, and so it, it, it sort of they had to think about their storytelling in a completely new visual way. And you're talking about how, you know, coming from filmmaking, you already had that sort of visual sensibility, but working in comics really tuned it and really honed that skill. Uh, I'm just so mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm Stephen. I'm wondering, did you yep. find have you found the reverse to be true, or do you always, as an artist working with somebody else's words, do you always have you always had to think narratively? I guess. Um, do I think some people who come in from different disciplines aren't aren't schooled on the comic book way? Is that what you mean, or do I find it harder? Well, uh, it, it just that, you know, this conversation is just reminding me of so many other conversations I've had with writers who said, oh, thinking visually is completely different from what I was I, used to. Oh, I think it's a culture shock to some people. I did a, one of the guys I worked with at DC um, was had only done a few books before we were paired up, and his concepts were tremendous. And his, his panel to panel storytelling was fine. There was just way too much of it. I think it's a it's it's a really like there's was three or four things happening in every panel uh there were five or six different people speaking the speed and order changed all over something people never think about is how you if at all possible try and keep the same from left to right speaking sequence which is very tricky to do if a conversation is revolving around a room full of people so that the artist can still have the speaking order go from left from right for clarity of reading it's a it's it's a really tricky thing that people don't consider when they go into writing a book which is very much a, it's i guess it's it's screenwriting and it's it's comics but you got to pare it down for comics and i think a lot of writers from novels and a tv too come in and they like you say they are particularly verbose and they feel they will write a few pages of script for one page of comic and it, like i do have to figure out then what i lose and what i keep you have to figure out what the main beat is for every panel yeah and then you got back to your editor and run that past and find out if anybody's going to be offended that you've cut anything out that they might have thought was the the absolute bee's knees when it came to like the uh, what was going on in the book and you don't want to step on anybody's toes but at the end of the day my job is to get the main story beats down on the page and you def i've definitely paired off some excess fat from yeah. from scripts but i mean that's when i'm 15 years doing it i mean a couple of years in i was doing loads so of old <laughs> <laughs> so old god 
<laughs> 20 years ago for college, 15 years of work. 15 years ago, and I did only like, yeah, there was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of TV and movie things where some of the writers would have been people from the actual TV property who would have been writing a book. And then, but I mean, I think they all valued the fact that they learned that really quickly going in, that they had to change it up a little bit and be a bit more versatile. It is a very different medium writing for comics um, yeah. as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah, I actually, real quick, the, one other thing I wanted to add is that um, a, a lot of times uh, I actually don't see it. Like, I actually don't see the the single image, you know? Mm-hmm. And part part of that is probably because I'm writing, um, I'm writing for, uh, it's like at a point where it's like I don't necessarily, I wouldn't even in a movie necessarily need to see it just yet. Um, but what I do see a lot is um i see the moments so i see especially in conversations i see where the where i would use a close-up or where i would punch in just for this one like important line of dialogue you know or the back and forth like i see the edits um and so that's why i think actually in my my like conversation scenes um those are where i sometimes i detail the moments the most steven um because I know what dramatically would work uh, and how this would play out. That's what I see. And I also, um, but I also, I'm very, like, I understand the choreography of people in places, in rooms. Um, So even if I don't necessarily see it, I know logically, like, this would work. This will work. Like, Stephen will find a way to do this because I know that, the data here that he has to work with is is accurate um and i find that in action stuff as well like um it's like i sometimes i won't necessarily see it i'll see a version of it sure but i won't see like the iconic version of it but i know that the the material is there to mold like i know it's it's doable like something you'll come back with something awesome um Mm. and i think that's probably what frees it for me a bit more well, I've never had a problem with any of yours. Like, there's generally it's right there on the page. This is the beat. This is the uh, the shot. Like, it's just as then I can decide how much screen time or whatever comic page space you want to allocate to each shot. I can decide that as pacing, as far as pacing goes. But the imagery it tends to be right there, really. I think. All right, Sam. We've kept them. <laughs> over an hour i think it's time to let them go take us out you i, I know you've got you've got a, a couple good ones so just just yeah. ask one do it it's kind of my thing guys i always come up with just a completely random silly question to kind of round out the conversations and i think i'll go with um and um we'll have steven answer first and then kyle are you are you team chicken first or team egg first and why <laughs> well, I eat a lot of chicken. I don't eat a lot of eggs. So, um, <laughs> I, I, I am of the opinion that there was probably a chicken before there was an egg. Do you know why? Or is that just kind of your, your gut feeling? Just my mind's eye. There's like some sort of prehistoric chicken just squatting <laughs> somewhere and gets up and leaves a little surprise. I don't see <laughs> Later on, he sees, there. she sees well, a, little, a very- little chicken and is like, oh, that. That's what that was. Okay. I can guarantee you that I am not the source that you want for this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and Kyle, which team are uh, you on? Oh God, I don't know. Uh, 
I usually get paid to have strong opinions like that. <laughs> yeah, get um, off the fence, Kyle. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess logically there was some sort of primordial chicken thing mm-hmm. that had to come from somewhere first, and it may not have been a, like, it, yeah, I don't know. At what <laughs> point does an animal, like, start laying eggs, like, <laughs> within its evolution uh, evolutionary cycle, you know, like it had to crawl out of the fucking water at first, most likely. <laughs> or something um, like did, yeah, that became the chicken. Eggs can crawl. crawl. Egg- <laughs> you haven't watched some of those. Uh, they can roll. Unless uh, <laughs> Yeah, I guess it probably was some sort of chicken like entity uh, <laughs> to kick things off. There you go. Chicken like entity, Sam. That's what you got. I'm going with chicken-like entity that, that yeah, <laughs> that came first. And now I know Stephen eats a lot of chicken. <laughs> Got it. Thank you guys so much for your time. Um, Our pleasure. I can't, I really honestly can't wait for issue two and everything's going to come after. So. Oh, yeah, we got to get that to the printer. Yeah, we should write that, huh? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> should get Please work hurry. on that. <laughs> Please hurry. Actually, when is, when is that? When does that go? Does that go this week? Uh, <laughs> next week? I think it's next week. Um, I'm still thinking about the fact that you're a trumpet player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've lost my horn. But is, is it next week? I think it's next week. They haven't. They have everything, but I haven't seen. Oh, it's June on the. I the should 19th. know it, but I don't. It was all. Everything was due on the 19th. So, and they've had it for a while. But mm. okay, well, we'll figure it out. Awesome. The chicken. The chicken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right, so another fantastic interview. All right, do you guys just want to carry off where you left off? Uh, no, I do want to say one thing. I'm looking at the questions and yes. the, 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 the points that we wanted to hit when we talked to them, and I realized that Sam never said something that I find pretty interesting, um, even though she okay. never found a time to work it into the interview. I think now is that time. It, it was very yeah. interesting, and I guess at some point I should let Kyle know this. Completely randomly, I, I always like to check Wikipedia because, yeah, I get some sketchy stuff on there, but you at least get, like, the major timeline points for people. And I want to see where these guys started from, like, before I would have been familiar with their work. And I'm looking, and I just happened to notice that Kyle was born in a town called Homer Glen, Illinois. Home, and Homer I'm like, Glen. Homer Glen, mm-hmm. Illinois. And I'm sitting there going, hmm, I have an uncle named Glen Homer. Glen Homer. What? <laughs> and what? we call him that. He is never Glenn. He is never Glenn. He is Glenn Homer. Every time. It's my hilarious. So now mom. my uncle, yeah, Glenn yeah, Homer. Wow. I'll have to make sure he listens to this because now he's internet now he famous. Is. Well, that's like once my wife married me and her name became Sarah yeah. Connors. No, you're, she's, yeah, she's, she's, she's amazing. Thing. Like she kicks all... I did not know oh, her yeah. name was Sarah. <laughs> she had to know, know what she was doing. She had to know what she was getting Oh, into. yeah. I mean, uh, the push for Isaac to be named John by a lot of people was pretty strong. But I, I'm I'm really kind of upset that you you resisted that. Well, the funny thing is, though, is I have a lot of like people in my like uh, grandparents in my line that their names are John. So it's already been done. Maybe he's already lived. Oh my gosh! Maybe he is. Oh, again, <gasps> what? Mind blown. <laughs> but maybe he'll be Isaac's son. It's oh true. Gosh. Wow. 
trippy. Wow. It'll be, it'll be That's back. awesome. I love You're it. You're like, no, if he has a boy, he's naming him Justin. <laughs> yes, no, yeah, for sure. Why wouldn't he? Of course. <laughs> All right, let's do it, man. Take us out. All right. We're out unless of, we're unless out Siri wants to I take cut. us out. Uh, yes, that'd be great. Siri, take us out. I don't know what that means. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming back every single week. If you don't, what's wrong with you? Hit that subscribe button and come on back. If you're a longtime listener, but you've never reviewed us on iTunes, go do it. I'm like commanding. I'm not even being nice about it. I'm not like, please. I'm just please. being like, go. Some Canadian be, you I'll, are. I'll, I'll see yeah, this. I know. Okay, Jamie, we'll reverse roles. I'll be American for tonight. And Jamie will be the Canadian. All right. <laughs> oh, man. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at the GBB Podcast as well as the GBBpodcast.com. I am Justin at 140Justin. I am Jamie at the Roarbots and Samantha at Samantha Fisher on Twitter. All right, guys. We'll see you next Take time. Take care. Bye. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.